What's up? What's up? Hi. Well, hello. Hey, yo. Hey, guys. <laughs> Hi. Hey, everybody. No. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, guys. Hey, guys. Why don't we do a take two? As, wait a minute. Let's start again. Hello, hello. <laughs> Hi, this is Ron Vodry. This is Alex Nussbaum. This is Jason Fraser. This is Matt O'Brien. Hey, this is Ray Zwicker. All right, world. My name is Cal Post. Guys, this is Christina Walkinshaw. This is Eddie Delisepi. This is Adrian Spencer. Uh, my name is Timo. And you're listening to the Julian Dion Camp. You're listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. <laughs> Who am I talking to? What am yeah. I doing? <laughs> Julian Dion. Comedy Hour? Listen to the ah, fuck some comedy <laughs> hour. See, I took the word out comedy, changes the yeah, meaning completely, doesn't it? Days and not really, I'm overworking, but days in the holidays. Happy holidays. You're listening to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. You know, this would be so much better if you were high. If you were high. If you were go welcome you are listening to the julian dion comedy hour pop pop podcast yeah coming at you hold on checking levels why don't i learn and do this before i start when i'm on the road i should do a little bit of a sound check coming at you live checking it one two three into the fizzo fizzo uh hey everybody hi 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 let me do this again. Welcome, welcome to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast episode twenty nine already. It's Boxing Day, everybody, and I'm tired, but not, not tired. I'm because I don't want it to sound negative. Just more sedated. It's a travel day. I'm now in Chelsea, Quebec. Woke up in Moncton, New Brunswick, and Skidook, and I'm now in Chelsea. Quebec and it's late and it's great and it's Boxing Day and Happy Boxing Day to you. Did you have a good Christmas? Hells yeah. Can you tell in my voice? Yeah, I'm just, I'm in a uh, basement that's kind of doesn't feel like it's a basement because it's halfway out from the ground and there's a nice fire going and had a great Christmas and it's all about the holidays. It's good. I love it so much so much um okay here we go it's just a waste of time oh my guest today Claude Kent by the way which I had a great chat with Claude Kent who is the drummer 
of uh, Garage Baby. In Garage Baby, of Garage Baby. Garage Baby's drummer, Claude Kent. So if you've been to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour live shows, uh, I'd say what you would have uh, known this guy or seen him from. You, you'll recognize him from behind the drum kit. <laughs> and uh, had a good interview? It's a good one. Sorry, I feel it's low energy. You having a good holiday? I hope you're listening to this relaxed and uh, that you haven't fought with any loved ones over the holidays too much. It happens. The heat of the socio-obligations of going place to place. I know there was a lot of that. I say I say I relax a lot and I'm sedated, but there's a lot of going from place to place. And I've mentioned in other podcasts... You go from place to place just consuming cheese and alcohol and cured meats and sugar and you're just carted off to the next house and everyone's happy to see you and it's... Ah, yeah. Moncton was great. Christmas Eve got all my shopping done as I always do every year and it's always good except, of course, like I've mentioned, uh, last year I had a meltdown at Rideau Center in Ottawa, but Champlain Place, my turf, had a great day. It's a day for me. I go out by myself. I get maybe a, a pretzel as I walk around, maybe a maybe a peppermint tea, maybe some sort of square, like a date square or something. And then I'll go for lunch at uh, Deluxe, which is a New Brunswick a local fast food that's amazing. They do amazing fish and chips. And, and I get all my shopping done. It's great. It was a great day. And, uh, anyway, I ran into... Episode 27 guest, Timote, Timo, La Pote, La Cote, like five, six times all over the city of Moncton. It was crazy. I'm just going to give him a call right now. Mad squirrel, after hours. What's cracking, man? After hours, Timo, La Pote, La Cote. What's up, buddy? Yeah, you know, it's the... Uh, it's uh, it's crunch time hour. You sound tired. Yeah, this is when you do your best work, right? Dude, yeah, it's been a weird week. There was like very little creativity going on this week. I was. Yeah. Uh, how you doing? Good. I'm. I'm. I'm good. How you doing, man? How, did you? So you heard the episode? Uh, did you like it? Did I like it? Oh my god, I loved it. It was funny. <laughs> it was so funny. That part where uh, I finally um, took off the headphones. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty good. Did you hear the uh, the bumper on the episode, the following episode? I um, sent you a link. Yeah, I did. I did. Oh. I do shabby. I think if like, like if not not that it would or should or that I wish it, but if ever anything goes wrong with comedy, you could always go into editing. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> I set it up too long. Like <laughs> like the answer you gave me that wasn't funny, or or timing is everything. I don't know, but wow, I wasn't. I wasn't. I think uh, what uh, I was trying to say. What I was trying to say was Julian, you did a great job on that editing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Um, did you, how about on Christmas Eve when we ran into each other all over the city of Moncton? That was weird, wasn't it? That was the funniest shit ever. Okay, so I'm walking, um, 
in Champlain Place, doing like I do every year. I, I do all of my shopping on Christmas Eve. It's sort of a day for myself. No, wait. Can I cut you off right there? Cut me off. Yeah, just because you're saying you're doing all your shopping. And in the three or four times that I came across you that day in four different locations, your hands were always empty. Yeah, I take my time with it. It's a full day thing. It's, it's a day for me. I go in early. The mall is virtually empty. Uh, people are in a good mood because it's Christmas Eve. And uh, I have a pretzel maybe, uh, maybe like a mint tea. I'll, I'll browse for a while and I'll s- scope out options. And then I'll go for it, and then I'll make all my purchases, and then it's uh, handy. Okay, okay. So, nice. So this year, I'm in... Well, Cham- I was there too, so... That's the thing. I'm in Champlain Place, my home turf, and I'm shopping. I'm in the zone. I'm doing the thing, and I see <laughs> I see Tim and Julie, and I'm like, oh, hey. So I see them, and then uh, I ran into them about like three other times at the mall, sometimes just Tim, oddly, and then other times just uh, the two of them. And then anyway, cut to uh, later, I go to the Trinity Center on Mapleton there. So like far away for like a whole other location. And I'm walking into, I think like Kent or something, home building supplies. And I hear, hey. Wasn't wasn't it the Wicker Emporium? I hear, hey, hey. And I'm ignoring it because I'm like, it can't be for me. I'm like, I hear, hey, buddy. And then I turn around after like eight haze, and it's you. And it just so, and it just so happened that I had my head my headphones, and I wasn't listening to anything. But I popped them out so it looked like I actually uh, couldn't hear you because of the headphones. So it all panned out. But I was actually just being paranoid. I'm like, who the fuck is that actually for me? <laughs> anyway, so then it's Tim in his uh, van with Julie again, his wife, and they're there. So then turn around, we laugh or whatever, they leave. I do my thing. Cut to like a half hour later, I'm on the highway. I pull up to, there's a random light on the highway and uh, pull up to, I recognize the van. Van? It's a verb. Van. I recognize the van and I look and you're alone again. Just you, just Tim in traffic. <laughs> it was all very weird and confusing, but all day Christmas Eve just peppered Timo. And this was what? This was what? Like how many days after we did our interview? This yeah, just a couple of days. A couple of days after. That's weird. Yeah. It's good. It's good weird. You know Good I mean? weird. Uh, any, I just wanted to touch base with you because I thought we had I hadn't uh, talked to you after seeing you all over the city of Moncton on Christmas Eve. Right. And uh, the episode's right. been getting good feedback. Well, that's good. No, I'm glad. I'm glad we entertained some people. Right. Instagramming on the side. Never tripping, slipping, slide. I love it. Well, listen, buddy. I just wanted to touch base and uh, give you a shout out. And uh, I will talk yep. to you. Uh, I'll talk to you real soon. Love you, Julian. Love you, buddy. You're a good man to ride the river with. I'll talk to you soon. I'll be in my van by the river. (laughs) (laughs) And there he goes, my buddy Tim, Timo. Timothée Valentin Jésus Richard making his second appearance on the podcast, this time via phone. The only other guest ever to do that is Darren Frost. So check, actually check that out. In the Ron Vaudry episode, uh, Darren Frost makes a phone call appearance. And so, uh, anyway, here we are. Let me literally, I'm literally phoning it in on Boxing Day. It's the holidays. Whatevs McGevs. Uh, let's just get to my guest. That was easy. Easy phone call. Easy off the top. Let's just chill. It's chill. It's, let's just take it easy. Why not? Uh, tired and late. And it's the holidays. Drop the jingle. There it is. Enjoy my chat with 
Claude Kent. Just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People, I need you loose. Sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy Kent of Garage Baby in Clockwise and CK Hello. Solo. Drums, guitar, every, everything. This is him right now. What if what if What uh, is Yeah, there we go. Music to your ears. Let's lift a finger from uh, my first uh, record with uh, Clockwise, Clockwise man, yeah. My songwriting vehicle, my mm-hmm. my power pop band. Um, and that's uh that's one of the first well, it, the first track on the release and, and uh, one of the first tracks that I wrote in that body of work. Mm-hmm. Nice. Go to um, clockwisecanada.com to check that out and more. But uh, anyway, good good to see you, buddy. Good to see you, too. And, uh, it's, been about, it's been since the last uh, show at Say What, which... Right. Uh, <laughs> was, was monumental. Monumental in many ways. Um, uh, by the way, Claude plays... Uh, he's behind the kit. A garage baby. If you've if you've been to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour live show, say what? He's uh, the witty motherfucker behind the drums, and um, yeah, I'm gonna the, put that in my bio. Quotes <laughs> behind quotes. Um, yeah, on the on the last show, I'd say what I talked about this in in the monologue before, but uh, yeah, how Peter Anthony like walked the entire room, and and <laughs> that was a weird show, man. He left an indelible imprint in that. That yeah. place that evening, uh, and I, I don't know that we need to elaborate any more than that. I mean, he was doing his thing. He did his thing. Mm-hmm. His thing uh, bombed a bit um, on the audience that was there. It may have gone over on a different audience. Yeah. Who knows? I mean, it's it's all subjective and how it, you know. I think that audience that evening was um, different mm-hmm. from what you normally encounter well yeah it was 87 percent bachelorette party yeah so you know whatever they were looking for it probably wasn't their type of entertainment yeah and maybe that's why it tanked up for him that night and mm. i don't think we need to say any more <laughs> about that it's just you know it was unfortunate that things turned out the way that they did but i think it turned around and and uh, there was some salvation that yeah that we ended did. up uh, having fun even though uh yeah good times but uh, let's talk a little bit about you specifically in about music. You. Yeah, that's right. Um, you are a, a man of many hats, Claude Kent. Uh, okay. <laughs> well, well, you I, are. I suppose I am. Yeah. Uh, it's because uh, you know I met you, uh, you. You know, drumming for Garage Baby. That's right. And uh, and then all of a sudden, find out you've got this whole uh, other solo stuff and this whole other thing. You know, so um, let's talk about that. Let's talk sure, about let's... you, you and music and your career. When when did you start? First of all, where are you from? You from Toronto? I'm from Toronto. Born yeah. and I was raised. Born and raised here. Never left here because of my day gig. 
Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, as much as I thought about getting away from here on several different occasions and was poised to do so, uh, I was always pulled back. Right. And so I based my, uh, not only my day job here, which is important to me because mm -hmm. it helps to stabilize and, and, you know, cement the lifestyle. But it, it's also allowed me to do my musical endeavors, which is more important to me. Mm -hmm. So I've stayed and, and sort of cultivated that. Um, I don't know if I'd call it a career, uh, you know, but but I've been involved in a lot of things over the years, and uh, and I will probably continue to do that, and I enjoy doing that. Um, and right now, it's it's Garage Baby and and Clockwise and some other things that people ask me to be involved in. Uh, but over the years, there's been many other different projects of different genres and so on. But this is the sort of you know, uh, with respect to your project, it's the first time I've been. Um, involved in live comedy on mm -hmm. stage mm -hmm. so that's different for me and i enjoy you know doing new things and new challenges and 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 certainly this is one and one that uh, uh you need to be you know more responsive to and certainly uh awake and with it right yeah well well yeah because you're i mean and you guys are so good at i mean you can throw anything at you guys well thank you. you to eat the mic a little bit uh, I'll put on my radio voice then. Yeah, eat that mic. Welcome to CBC Radio Play 7. Play for me. <laughs> uh, and uh, do you feel like doing the show, I'd say what, your your sense of humor, your your wit has sharpened or anything like that? Because um, you're really funny. Well, thank you. Uh, I you know I never really have considered myself that way. Other people have told me that I'm funny. Uh, sometimes people say to you, that's really funny. You're really funny. And they're not laughing, and you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt and say, I'm not really funny then. Because right. you wouldn't just say it. You'd be too busy right. pissing your pants. Right. But um, my uh, girlfriend says that I'm funny, mm -hmm. um, but I think that that, you know, is, is, she's slightly biased. Um, but other people have told me that uh, I guess we are funny together, and I think that's really what's happening or what's happened is that uh, in concert with you and the other fellas in the band and how we, uh, the chemistry that we have, mm -hmm. I think that has created a certain um, dynamic uh, for us to to uh, banter a bit on stage. And if that comes off as funny, then I think then it's it's a cool thing that's happened. You know, it, it's it's not what we intended to do but i think that's when the best things happen there you know you have a um you know a brilliant mistake mm -hmm. or you know an unintentional um happenstance or uh, as my my album title is accidentally on purpose something like that has happened i think there's there's been a a, a synergy and 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 a connectivity of of the bodies that that are doing this thing, yourself included, and and we have come up with something that's somewhat simpatico, I guess. Yeah, it's great. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to do, and uh, and that was all a lot of bullshit, people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for anyone who has their bullshit filter on, they didn't hear a thing anyway. Yeah, good. Um, but uh, let's again, let's go. So let's go back a little bit. So you're born sure. and raised in Toronto, and uh, when when do you pick up? What, what was the first instrument you picked up? A guitar. 
Um, the first instrument I picked up was a tin drum that was given to me, and my, I think my brother got one too because in my house it was everything was even, Stephen, right? Mm -hmm. if, if the one child got one, the other child got one. No fighting, and we fought anyway. So uh, I think we both got tin drums when we were about three or four, and uh, and that was probably the beginning of me understanding that I wanted to beat on things. Mm. Um, and But, you know, it wasn't a continuation from there. It was a, a long period of time before I actually got a drum. And uh, the first drum I got was um, through my sister's boyfriend's brother who had a snare drum just sitting in his basement. And I said, what's what's he doing with that? And I was, I was a kid, you know, I was probably seven or eight or something and and anyway i ended up acquiring this drum and and that was sort of my first entry or foray into playing a drum but i didn't understand what i was you know gonna do with it mm -hmm. entirely i just wanted to i knew that there was a polarity there was a gravitational pull towards the drum and anything drum like and you know, my, uh, in the neighborhood, there were there were guys with drum sets, and and I remember my sister taking me over to a friend's place, and it's like, "Do you want to go over and see Carl's drums?" And I, yeah, and I just stand there and just look at them, and wasn't wasn't that I wanted to grab his drumsticks and and go animal from the Muppet Show on, but I was just enamored with the drums and the way they looked and and everything about them, and at some point I knew that that I wanted to have drums of my own. And I think it was around my 12th birthday that my father broke down after many years of me just like hammering away at him. <laughs> Give me drums now, drums now. And uh, he, he, you know, it was he came home and, and had these drums for for my birthday. And uh, from um, there, crazy. From then, I never looked back. Yeah, you and must I, have been so excited. I, I was extremely excited, and and I don't, you know, back then. There wasn't this sort of attachment to name brand and all these things, so right. it didn't matter what they were. They were drums, and, and that's I was happy to have them, and I just beat those things to death until, I mean, they, they had these cheap, cheap uh, symbols that I hit them so much they turned uh, concave mm -hmm. after a Crazy. while, so yeah. uh, good symbols don't do that. Right. But anyway, I, you know, from there I never looked back, and I, you know, I would acquire another set, and and, and I kept playing, and uh, and you know, I I I I cut my first record when I was eighteen. Oh um, no way! Yeah, in a in a punk band uh, called the Fits from Toronto, who are now somewhat iconic and and have a global. Uh, awareness and following. Uh, so you were in the early days of the Fits. I was crazy. I was the the uh, second drummer, but the one that played on the recording. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so if any of you punk rock people out there want to go and check it out, uh, I think it's thefits.org, or you can just you can go onto YouTube and you can see the videos Board of Education, which is the the song that everybody clamors for. Um, and uh, yeah, it was the single was re released last year in Japan. Uh, by a company called 1977 Records. So uh, crazy stuff happens, you know. Wow, I, I yeah. never imagined, we never imagined in 77, 78, in 79, yeah. when we were doing this thing that it would ever, you know, have life beyond, you know, the, the immediate now of what we were doing. And it was weird because I was contacted some 20 years later by a guy who was writing a book about 
punk rock between I think it's 77 and 79 or 80 or something the book's called Smash the State which is a, a now collectible coffee book rarity in Canada uh, this, this gentleman Frank Manley who's you know just a mensch of a man mm-hmm. to do and to undertake this this undertaking that he did to compile what he, he has contacted me out of the blue and it's like here's this guy from Montreal who wants to know about this music that we made some 20 years before that and I'm just holding the phone going is this happening I you know nobody before that nobody cared when when we released the record there wasn't any you know nobody cared about it then Mm -hmm. uh but a handful of people and and yeah some people had said to me it's a great record blah 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 and we didn't know right we weren't really something you made and we we thought that it sounded okay but you know, you, you kind of look at other things as the benchmark and hold them up and go, is it is it as good as that, or or you know, does it does it have the same impact? And you just don't know because you're too close to it. But 20 years later, this guy wants to know, and he does an interview with me, and he wants the 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 song included in with the book as an audio piece, and and I hooked him up with uh, with another fellow that I used to play with, uh, Rudy Van Steens, who was in Arson and got those two connected so he could include him in the book and a lot of great things happened for a lot of people and 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 it i think it started uh or it re-sparked something and with the interest in that music because uh it did uh revolutionize some things uh musically mm-hmm. and let's you know if you look at music in the in the mid to late 70s there was a lot of stadium rock, a lot of boring stuff going on, a lot of long-haired music, a lot of, you know, distance between the listener and, right. and the performer, yeah. and not enough connection. And and I think the the new music, the what they call punk rock or new wave, which I prefer to call street music or real music, uh, I think that reconnected people. And when people heard it, who you know, who were ready to hear something new, they gravitated towards it quickly. And there were other people who were firmly ensconced in, you know, the old uh, school and the old ways who looked at everybody like, you know, they were some sort of social pariahs because they dressed differently and they they listened to different music because they didn't understand it. And I think they were threatened by that. Mm -hmm. Um, But... um, I think it was it was revolutionary, and that's why people became reinterested in it and are still interested in it today. And if you look in the club scene, you'll see the traces of it and the remnants of it, and bands like Fucked Up who are continuing to carry that torch and who are shining a light on some of the people that wrote that music. Um, you know, back in the late '70s, uh, in the scene that that I was a part of. So. It's good to see. It's it's good to have that acknowledgement. Um, not that I get it personally. Sometimes I do. Sometimes somebody will uh, do some outreach online, uh, somebody from another country, um, or you, I'll see a comment on YouTube about the video, and and I'll go, and I'll say to myself, that's really cool that people are are hearing the music. I don't care, you know, if I get acknowledgement for it. But it's good that they're hearing it, and they should hear it, and it's it's important for them to hear because there's a lot of crap out there today. A lot of crap. And I'm starting to sound old when I say that, but but honestly, I think you know the technology today and the way that 
that people learn how to play music is different than it was back then. And so there's more of a, a, a genuineness to some of those recordings, I think. They're, they may be a little bit more crude in some ways, but they're a little bit more honest as well. Mm-hmm. I find there are some, there's some good new music, but you really have, there to, is. You really have to look for it. You do, and that, yeah. and 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 I don't want to say that there isn't any good music out there because there's tons of it, but mm-hmm. it it does send you on a bit of a road for discovery, and the internet is great for that, uh, certainly, um, because it's not going to be on radio or conventional radio, or if it is on radio, the programming is such that it's you know it's off peak. That's right. So you're you're really scrambling to find it, and it's too bad uh, that it's like that because. I think people get denied of of a, a musical experience, a cultural experience, and education in that regard because most people want to hear something good, but mm-hmm. some people will be complacent with whatever comes through the knob. You know, they turn the knob and it comes through, and they hear it and they go, "Well, that's that must be it," because they're telling me that that this is this is top forty, right? So this is what I listen to. Right. Uh, instead of having an alternative. Yeah, and it's like you said, uh, like an example of that. This the Christmas I bought my um, nephew. Uh, I'm actually my godson. A iPod Shuffle mm-hmm. and an iTunes gift card, and I thought I would guide him in the right direction and put good like Pearl Jam on there, Neil Young, and some good stuff. And uh, it dawned on me yesterday, so I gave it to him, and uh, then I left town, and my sister, his mom, said, we have to put music on there, and I, like, panicked. I just thought of, of, of it today. I panicked because what if he's gone on his own and just downloaded, you know, some, like you said, pop, top 40 stuff that's out there? And Well, I think that everybody will discover on their own their likes and their dislikes and sometimes you you do get jammed with something that you haven't uh you know or it hasn't quite panned out the way that you wanted it to but uh i think um you know in my own discoveries of some certain things you know we bought we bought records because we liked the cover mm-hmm. you know you saw something and you went wow that's it's right. so intriguing I have to take this home, and and most times you were, you know, you were right about your selection. Um, these days, there's no cover really because it's so small you can't even look at it. So right. that experience is kind of taken away. Totally. Uh, and so you don't have that. You won't have that same uh, way to discover. But now you can try everything out online, right. and and that's sort that's of a true. different approach too. But I mean, it, there were things that that were given to me as a kid. Uh, my my dad worked at CBC as a staff producer, and he came home with records sometimes. And he came home with some records when I was about nine or ten years old, and one of them was Stomp and Tom Bud the Spud which became one of my favorite records mm. as a kid. And I had no uh, history of listening to country music because it wasn't part of the, the, the musical landscape of my house. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but here was this record, and, and I started to play it on my own, in my own room, on my own time. And I fell in love with that record because there was something about it, uh, not only rhythmically, but... But the stories that were uh, were told through the, those songs, and the way that they were told by Stomp and Tom, and the way he sang, 
there, it was undeniable to anyone of any age. You know, I mean, some people could write it off and go, yeah, you know, the, the guy's singing about a, a potato, you know, or he's, he's singing about the, the TTC or whatever it is. Uh, but if when you're a kid, you don't you don't have those bias. You just listen. Mm-hmm. You know, children are the best thermometers of what stif- stuff is like or, or how it's going over because they don't pay attention to to what's cool. They just Absolutely. they like it or they don't like it. Yeah. And so your nephew, your godson will have his own discoveries. And, and maybe years from now, you'll be able to talk to him about that and say, hey, man. Do you remember what you got on that card that I gave you? And, and right. maybe he'll he'll be able to tell you every single thing that, that was on there, or maybe he'll keep it. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, now back to sort of your your personal uh, relationship with music and and your career. Uh, when did you branch out of punk rock into different genres? And well, I I, I don't think that I was ever in one. In particular, I think I spent some time in, in a lot of different ones and right. before I played. I mean, the timing for me was right for punk, punk rock because I was just sort of 17, 18, 19 and old enough to go to clubs or at least pass mm-hmm. myself off as someone of age. And so the music and the timing of that were perfect for me to be in that. But that the punk rock thing, you know, really didn't last all that long if you look at it historically it it really started you know to the the pot started to boil a little bit in 76 it really got raging in 77 and by 78 a lot of it was over and they started to make music called new wave or or post-punk or or whatever you want to call it Uh, but that that's sort of a technical way to look at it but i was never really in one thing i always appreciated many different genres and forms of music because when I grew up in my house, uh, I have an older sister who's uh, about 12 years older than myself, and she had every record on the hit parade and and was, you know, so open to music that we listened to everything, you know, from the time I was conscious of and aware of what the radio was um, from, and I would say this would be about... 1964 when I was three years old because that's when the Beatles hit America and my sister saw the Beatles twice and I remember all of those I have all those memories and and listening to that music with her in her room you know whether it was on the AM radio or through the records that she bought and and she used to work at at uh, Simpsons at Queen and Young which is now the Bay store and uh, my mom worked there too and my sister would um she would order records from Simpsons. You could buy a 45 RPM record, 7-inch. And I think she said they were they were about 65 cents or something, and mm. they'd be delivered to your house. So, But she had so many of them. She had everything. It was, you know, James Brown and the Supremes and the Beatles, Beach Boys, Rolling Stones, Stevie Wonder, uh, Sonny and Cher, um, any of the, the you know, the, the, the pop sort of singers of, of the day, uh, Bobby Darren, um, anything and everything. It was wide open. So we were, my brother and I were exposed to all of that. <clears throat> so well, I didn't have any limits or boundaries on music. And my father was uh, a classical music uh, producer at CBC. He produced the TSO and he produced the Festival Singers and Elmer Eisler and <clears throat> Judy Loman and all of these 
fantastic classical music performers. <clears throat> and so I, we were exposed to that and, and had to go to experience that live, uh, whether it was at the O'Keefe or uh, Eaton's Auditorium or, or wheresoever. So music was just, it was life's rich tapestry for, for us. And so, you know, the punk rock thing was just part of that. And, uh, and I think that, for me, you know, just connected me back to some of the music I heard with my sister, you know, on the radio, whether it was the Trogs or, you know, Count Five or some of those early psychedelic groups um, from the 60s, the Kingsmen, you know, there, there is a, uh, there's a, there's a family tree. If you look at music and, and you're sort of aware of, of, you know, how those things connect, um, you can kind of follow it along, you know, if, 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 if that's the type of music that you enjoy. And so punk rock was, was something that I did for a while, but I got out of it pretty quick too. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the eighties happened, you know, and, and it was all about synthesizers and, and dance beats and big poofy hair and big shouldered clothing and, and uh, and some of the music was awful, mm -hmm. and, and some of it was good, and some. And of what it were was, you doing in the eighties? Well, I, I, again, I I did a lot of different things. Uh, one of the uh, the first groups um, that I sort of played with that might have been considered in that uh, realm or genre was a group called Glamatron. Uh, that was short lived as well, um, but it was sort of a synth band. And uh, then I I did uh, a record. Um, with some friends of mine called Streetcar Named Desire, which is a little bit more of a college radio uh, mm -hmm. departure thing. And at the same time, I was playing in a group uh, called Ten to Midnight, which was sort of a Motown uh, revisit, revisited uh, type of group. We, we were doing original music, but we were also playing, you know, Stevie Wonder and Four Tops and Marvin Gaye and Chairman of the Board and all these things that, that, were you know very danceable and we get people up and dancing and to see the band and it was you know it was more genuine and honest and and uh not uh you know it's not something that's so disposable as as some of the music was so i did a whole bunch of stuff in the 80s and uh you know those those were some of the things that that uh are sort of you know more closer to my heart i guess uh, but i played in you know some groups that would happen for a week or or you know somebody had a gig can you play the gig kind of thing you know whether it was top 40 or or original we did a lot of original things that that you know were under the radar here like most right. people wouldn't go to but but the people who were closer to the street who wanted to have you know, a more genuine rock and roll club experience would be there you know so when we play played places like the slither club and and uh, sneaky d's and uh, the Spadina Hotel Cabana Room, you know, was was a big, big part of it. Um, I couldn't say enough about that place. Um, you know, we in some of the other groups we played the Horseshoe, the Bamboo, uh, a place called BJ Cuddles. Mm -hmm. I mean, lots of <clears throat> different clubs that <clears throat> came and went over the years. But uh, it, it was more, you know, the music that you remember than the places that you played it in. Right. And and this whole time drumming, of course. Drumming, yeah. I always having your day job. Always had the day job. So did you, did you ever, even with the day job, fully immerse yourself in the music scene with you know you know sex, drugs, and rock and roll, the whole women, the drugs, <laughs> any of that stuff. <laughs> 
Uh, I mean, obviously, it was the 80s. Well, yeah, there was. I think there was more of that in the 70s, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, the 80s had its own elements of that. Um, was I exposed to it? Certainly. Uh, did I enjoy some of the culture? Absolutely. Um, but it wasn't my lifestyle. Right. Because yeah, you had to get up at... I was a part-timer mm-hmm. in that mm-hmm. and uh, and always kind of knew where reality was or tried to keep that in perspective, even though there were times where I got pulled into the vortex. It's easy. Um, it sucks yeah, you in. It's, it, it's easy, um, but you have to be realistic about it. But, you know, the, a, a party is a party and, and a celebration is a celebration, but... You, once it's over, you still have to go back home and crawl mm-hmm. into your crypt, you know. So, and, and the next day, you, you hope that you get up and, and you're able to, to do it again. You know, yeah. some people didn't, and some people didn't get it. But, I mean, those people, uh, the same things probably would have happened to them had they not been in music or otherwise. Right. Yeah. It just depends yeah, on, right. on, on your, your willpower, your determination, your focus, your moral fabric. I mean, there's a million things in there that that determine why you'll go left or right. Mm-hmm. You know. Cool. So, when did you? I mean, you obviously come. It's it's almost like a, it was definitely in your case inevitable to be uh, um, have one foot in music in one way or another. Uh, you know, coming from your household and your your influence from your parents and your family. Uh, when did you play guitar? Was that something that came naturally because of your you were so immersed in music, and you seemed to be a very musical kind of guy. Well, there was always a guitar in my house, and that that was the good news for me. My brother uh, was fascinated by guitar mm-hmm. and took guitar lessons when he was a, a younger person, and uh, so there was always a guitar around. And and you know, when a guitar is lying around, most people will pick it up, mm-hmm. whether they can play or they can't play. They just it, there's something about a guitar, you know, and the, its design and everything. You put it in your lap, you put it in your hands, and and people will strum it, you know. And and so, I had a natural, I guess, uh, affinity with instruments. I just want—I I wouldn't call myself a musician. I, I think what I do is I am able to emulate some sound. Um, that's kind of what I've always done—is is mimicked sound. Uh, right. Tried to reproduce the sound. Because I'm not, I don't have a musical education. I'm not taught formally. So it's I all taught, by ear. I taught myself how to do what I do, and most of it is monkey see, monkey do. How do mm-hmm. I get that sound? How do how do I make that sound? And, and through repetition and practice and drawing and determination, blood, sweat, and tears, and all of those things, you eventually figure out how to replicate sound. And and I did the same with guitar, and my brother taught me lots of things. Uh, and you learn from other people. You watch them, and you you'd say to them, "How do you do that?" And 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 some people would just show you. You know, I remember uh, when I was in grade nine, I went to high school, and I met this guy, Larry McKenzie, was crazy guy, beautiful guy, uh, funny ginger guy like yourself, and uh, he was just wild. He would he would say and do anything, and he he had all these voices and would sing and dance and and like do everything openly and uh and he he was a drummer and and we you know we hit it off and he said well come to my house and we'll jam and i'd never really done that before with anybody and so i went to his house and he had this big setup of drums he had uh, like this double set of 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 drums that he had set up in his basement and i went oh wow you know 
and and saw him play and and then he said well you play and i'll play guitar and so he played guitar and it was just the two of us which is pretty wacky it's like an early black keys or something right mm-hmm. and uh anyway he would play guitar and, and he said oh it's easy i'll show you and he showed me how to play a, a bar chord with two fingers and when i heard that sound to me it sounded like the sound the rock sound the black sabbath kind of sound of, yep. of the power chord yep. and i went wow there, there's there's something in that it gives you this feeling right and so once he showed me how to do that i i i, I soon figured out that you could do that anywhere on the neck of a guitar and then you know the more you heard and the more you explored the more you learned and, and so you know through this osmosis i sort of learned how to play kind of sort of and kept it parked you know i didn't I never played guitar out or in a band or wanted to show anybody what I knew because I didn't think that I played very well. But I, I kept at it, and it, you know, it was just a, a fanciful thing, and, and my brother would continue to show me things and encourage me, and he actually bought me my first uh, guitar, which was an acoustic guitar, around 1981, and I still have that guitar, and I still play that guitar, uh, and I learned a lot nice. on that guitar, and he would continue to encourage me and show me things and I would continue to play it and we always had jam spaces and I'd always fool around and eventually I got better I guess at doing what I do on a guitar and uh, to the point where I started to noodle and and write little uh, compositions mm-hmm. and uh, I didn't really take it seriously um, for the longest time and always allowed other people to do it and I would play drums and and then I was in a group in the '90s, and I, you know, it kind of resolved itself or, or dissolved, and and I, I was a little bit perturbed that this thing isn't going to work. The other things haven't worked. It's always been someone else who's sort of blown the situation, whether it was through, you know, their frustration or or a relationship or whatever it was. And and so I got to this point, and I said, "Screw this! I'm not going to play drums anymore in anybody's group. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this myself." And so I I decided that I would uh, continue to write and start to demo those songs. <clears throat> and a good friend of mine, Marvin Marvin Rivet, uh, was one of the first guys who ever explored any recording stuff way back in the day, and always had some means to record, which was pretty special for most of us because we didn't none of us had money or access or mm-hmm. or the means or, or the wherewithal or anything and Marv always kept his hand in it and this one uh, particular time he bought uh, this little Tascam unit which was I think was was either a four track or eight track cassette recorder thing and uh, and either he called me or I called him and I said well I heard about your your machine like what's going on with it what are you doing he said, "Well, I'm not really doing anything. Nobody wants to come over and use it." I said, "Well, I'll come over. Let's let's use it, right? Let's 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 explore it." So, I went to his place, and uh, you know, within 20 minutes, it was pretty obvious that he didn't want to actually play, and he wanted me to play. So, I banged out something that I was working on, um, and I thought it sounded pretty good. And I thought, well, I better add some bass to it if, to flesh it out. Mm-hmm. So I put. A bass on it, a bass track on it, which I'm not a bass player, and it didn't sound all that great, but it was there. And then I said, "Well, I'll, th- I'll throw a snare drum on there and see, if, you know, if a beat helps it along." And so I started to build the song, 
to the point where it was like, this is pretty happening for a little home demo. Uh, I'm pretty pleased with it. Maybe I should get some lyrics going. So uh, I came back the next day and I, and I, and I thought, well, how am I going to do this? I don't really have any lyrics. And I, I sat down and I just listened to the radio and I had a newspaper in front of me and I just started to jot some, some ideas down to the point where I had a, a lyric formed and, and we put up a mic and I sang it. And that song uh, still exists to this day. I still play it in my repertoire. Um, and it, it was recorded in the last batch, which will be on my new record. And uh, it's, What's the name of the song? It's called I Don't Know. And uh, it's, it, it, it's a pretty neat thing to, to, uh, to have happen. That it, because a lot of songs that you write could be throwaways or they never get right. fully realized. But to have the very first one that you wrote in such a way that was not really intended and it, to have it come full circle and have the band record it. And actually the, the group that I had at the time, uh, the Sense Change Rhythm Sections, they urged me to, they said, we should really record that because it's such a good song. I said, okay, let's do it. So that song's still in the repertoire, and that's kind of how it happened through yeah. Marv's home unit and starting to record that's that way. Cool. And I just, I never turned my back on it and just kept doing it. And uh, But I did, you know, get the itch to start drumming again. So I can't leave that alone either. So I have to do both. Right. I have to do both all the time. And uh, if I don't get either of those itches scratched, then it becomes an issue. What is that? <laughs> That's the heat. It happens like okay. twice a day. It comes on randomly. Based on well, we like heat, so we're not going to argue with that, and yeah. especially today. Um, let's talk about, like, t- tell me a little bit about how, like, making that trans- transition behind the kid. Behind to, the kit to frontman, front like how did you find it? Like your first time performing as a frontman, did you feel a little more vulnerable, especially with your own lyrics, Absolutely. your own everything? Did you you're laying laying it all out there? Well, I, I wasn't so much concerned about the content as I was about myself trying to manage the audience mm-hmm. because there's a skill to that. There's a there's a a definite, um, you know ability that you need in order to to pull the audience in and keep them there right and i didn't course. have that skill didn't have it and, and i mean and, you, you and hadn't I, needed it really either. hadn't really needed it no because of always hiding behind the drum kit and not having to say anything other than sing backup and such but um i remember some of the first performances and i don't know if i can remember the very first one but i know where where they were and that was at uh, at the alma combo on the main floor but that's before this you know, it's it's traded hands. I don't know how many times mm-hmm. since, uh, but it, I think it was Scott B. Sympathy that was running the. Uh, it was either the Elvis Monday or or some kind of Monday that he was running. Scott B. Sympathy Monday, maybe I don't know. But uh, hats off to Scott B. for having me uh, come down with the group, and those were some of the first performances. But I remember, you know, being worried about uh, sort of the dead air. Right, because how did you how did you sharpen those skills? Uh, it just it. takes you got to it's stage time, right? You got to. <laughs> That's be the a, thing. There's no other way, right? <laughs> you, there isn't. you can't. You just have you to do it. You can't. And it's embarrassing. You and you look back and you that cringe. at home. Yeah. It has to be live in front of an audience. That's and right. Now I I'm starting to feel comfortable about it. Like I can, if if there's people in the room and they're paying attention and the band is good and it's happening, I have no problem carrying the night, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I have lots to say, as you can see. 
Um, but it's it, it can be difficult. It can be the the most harrowing experience of your life if it's not going well. Mm-hmm. But it it takes a long time, and and it took me some time to do that, and a lot of mediocrity. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, maybe the shows like the people saw they enjoyed the music or whatever. But for me. Uh, I'm pretty critical of of not only other people but myself especially, and so I would say that there was a lot of mediocrity happening there. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of of being the front guy. Mm-hmm. You know, because because good front people they have they have the it factor. You know, mm-hmm. you can't really put your finger on it, but they they've got you know panache. They've got style they 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 seem to think on their feet they can talk a mile a minute and mm-hmm. they got great stories and great segues and and it's just all happening and you, and you just see somebody do that and you go you bastard you know and you you if you could bottle that or or if you could teach people that i mean lots of people teach guitar and drums and their comedy workshops and all kinds of things but nobody really tells you or can teach you how to be a front person that's a good point and i think if if you could get into that industry yeah you could be successful at it. Break from mediocrity. Yeah. But, I mean, you have to work through that mediocrity. You uh, do. It's inevitable for any creative uh, You've endeavor. Done it. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. I've done it in front of you uh, sometimes. Um, but some, it's like, some friends were talking about, I got together with some friends last week, some old friends, some musical friends, and, and uh, they had read this book, The 10,000 Hours. I don't know if you've heard of it yeah. or not. But that's one theory. Malcolm Gladwell. Right? That, that everybody who's successful has put in their 10,000 hours. You think about it. And the small margin of the, the top people that are successful in any field, whether it's like a hockey player, by the time they make the NHL, they've put in those 10,000 hours of the Beatles. By the time, you know, right. they, you know, it's all, it's that. And that's, there's no other way. Um, Ira Glass uh, on NPR, he's, he's got a show. He was quoted to saying this thing. I mean, I, I'm going to butcher it, but I'm paraphrasing. It's sort of like, um, when you get into any sort of artistic art form, you get into it because you have good taste in said art form. But when you get into it, your skill doesn't match that taste, right? So you can't put out what you admire and know and recognize as good work. So you have to work. And the only way to get great is to work through this body of mediocre you know, um, um, stuff. There's no other way around it. So all you have to do is work and don't stop working and out and put out and put out and put out and then everything requires work it yeah. doesn't matter whether it's carpentry or or whether you're a project manager or or comedian or or what have you you have to work at it um listen up kids <laughs> there's no overnight sensation mm-hmm. uh, it may appear that way uh, in media uh, to some but but people have yeah, worked, and, and and worked and worked and worked and don't take anything away from the Justin Bieber's or anybody because they have worked it. Case in point, Russell Peters, uh, I'll use my field as an example. You know, he made $18 million last year or whatever it is. Um, and, and has for the last, you know, since 2005, when he made it big, everyone thought it was an overnight success. But when he made it big, he was, that was, he was 21 years as a stand-up comedian, right. you know? of working the road and working the open mics and doing the small rooms and churning out mediocrity. And, and a lot of it's timing, I think, you know, whether it's uh, the audience appreciating y- your craft or, right. or they're 
not being ready for it. Right. But timing has got a lot to do with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. Um, for the most part, anybody that's in a like hugely successful uh, position, whether it's your cup of tea or not, there's something there. There's something to be said about about that person, like you mentioned, Bieber. You know, m- most people shit on him. The guy's a genius, like talented. Yeah. Well, I think you know socially he's he's made a few missteps. Yeah. Um, but that comes with some of the success and, and it's not like others haven't done it either. Mm-hmm. It's just that, uh, the way that social media is now and the internet and, and the information highway and all of those things, uh, it just puts more of a microscope on the celebrity and, and they're waiting for you to fuck up mm-hmm. so that they can jump all over you and make you look like a stooge. Well, the guy's a kid. He's bound to make mistakes. We've all been there, and uh, I'm not saying he should be forgiven for all the things he's done, but but the guy has a talent. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been able to parlay that talent, and somebody's marketed that talent, and people love his talent for whatever reason, whether it, it's got something or not. I mean, I, I've had to play one of his songs uh, in a stage band that, that I used to play in, and I didn't particularly think that it was a good song like it's not a song you can take and play with an acoustic guitar around a campfire and and, you know get a bunch of people singing about it but uh you know as a dance number i think it had some merit to get people up you know dancing moving right so you know you have to look at everything uh for its its value Mm -hmm. whether that's intrinsic or or, you know, it's superficial. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, Bieber's put in his time. I know that he's from Stratford. I have some connection to Stratford uh, through um, one of my friends and know that he used to work it, you know, daily mm-hmm. in Stratford. The kid was a machine. Is that right? You know, so I think a lot of us like to have our our... our Begrudge people their their fame and their celebrity, the fruit or whatever you want to call it, um, but they've they've likely put in their time. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely. Um, so where are you where are you at where are you at now musically? Uh, right now, I'm I'm at. Uh, <laughs> sorry, um, uh, we just uh, played a. a, a a very successful show with Garage Baby mm-hmm. uh, over the the holidays. Nice, we're sorry, sorry you missed it. Yeah, at the uh, the Painted Lady, and we uh, we've been trying to get connected with this crowd for for quite a while. Um, there's a, a a show that's that's put on uh, by a group called Sid's Kids uh, the last Sunday of every month, mm-hmm. um, and it's spearheaded by Cleve Anderson, a great drummer. Uh, that everyone knows about town and some other very talented folks, uh, Marcel Lafleur on guitar and uh, John. Um, I'm going to have a brain fart here. Uh, John on bass, um, who used to play in the Weaker Thans, who uh, both of those gentlemen now play in Arson. In any case, they ho- host this thing um, at the Painted Lady, and they they do a, a really stellar job at playing some of the punk rock from that era and uh we were invited to open for them uh, which is very gracious of them to allow us to do that and this is something that we wanted to do because we wanted to get ourselves in front of their audience because Mm -hmm. we knew that they their audience would appreciate uh the, the the output that we have 
And so we did that over the holidays, and that that went over really, really well. And uh, we hope to do that again. They've, the, the club is there just to come back and and to be part of it every month. Uh, so Wicked. We're, we're hoping to to continue on with that and to to create you know more good memories and and mm-hmm. great music and good times for the people that want to enjoy that and have that yeah. experience. So that's kind of what's happening. But as you know, uh, Mike has has left the building right. to go uh, and. Uh, explore some other to like april or so yeah yeah end of march or april but he will come back and when he comes back we'll pick up like uh, you know like we just fell off a log or something so garage baby will continue and we have an album in the can uh as they say in the business one in the can which will be your second one it will be actually our third release the first one ep and then full-length album and then and then this will be our second i'm not sure how that's going to come about uh james is still in the, the midst of trying to sort out his studio situation and and it needs some further tracking and yeah and, and a better That's mix cool. and mastering and so on so we need to revisit that but but it's there and so garage baby will continue i think you know between the four of us there's so much chemistry that uh we probably could never turn our back on it yeah and, i mean you guys are just great well it, it's a unique situation um you know, one that doesn't happen all the time, and we'd be foolish for any of us to walk away from it because yeah. we so enjoy it, mm-hmm. uh, and the the energy and and the excitement of of the music I think speaks for itself when it happens. So we'll continue to do that. Uh, Clockwise is is continuing on as well. We have a show at uh, Relish Bar and Grill coming up on the seventeenth Saturday, the seventeenth. Um, which we uh, have done before, and we're very much looking forward to getting back there. Uh, we like to play a family show, mm-hmm. which means we we uh, encourage kids to be there because what we do, I think, is accessible to them, and, and they can get involved. Uh, the last time we had our guitar player's uh, son come up and play drums on one of the songs, and we just have fun with it and get as many people involved as we can. And it's 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 clean power pop mm. music or whatever you want to call it. You've heard it. Uh, it was playing earlier on, so we're doing that. And uh, I'm playing a solo show tomorrow night at the ABC, the Amsterdam Bicycle Club, which is a room I love playing. I, I love the ambience in that room. It's it's down in the market yeah, area. Yeah. It's a beautiful, beautiful room. Do you have and a regular like a residency there or something? You, you I, do, I do it monthly. Right. Um, the Tim Milan, the manager there, has been very good to me and and uh, enjoys what I do. So he keeps inviting me back, and and I keep challenging myself by doing these marathon sets there. The, the last time I played for two hours and forty minutes wow. without a break. Nice, um, nicely done. I don't know how I do it. Uh, <laughs> it's crazy. I just keep pulling these songs out, but uh, but I enjoy that and the challenges there. So it it allows me to to do that uh as as a thing as a mm-hmm. as a solo performer which is a huge challenge as you know like it's like doing stand-up right right it's, it's just it's, you up there there's nobody else to rely on and, and right. you got to keep it moving and you got to keep people engaged otherwise they lose interest and that's that's one of the reasons why i play uh as long as i do because i feel that if there's people there and they're listening then why would i stop that's right. Because they'll they'll just they'll go back to the hockey game, or mm-hmm. they'll go back to the conversation, or they'll leave, or they'll do whatever. And uh, so why not just keep them engaged and keep playing? And and that's what I I've been doing. So I think the club likes it, and I I enjoy doing it. So I'm going to keep going back there as much as I can. And and uh, this year, 
I was hoping to do, you know, I was hoping to get a new clockwise record out as well because I do have one of those in the can. It's uh, shy by one uh, track, or I like to put records out that have uh, have ten songs on them. Mm. For me, that's kind of the magic number, and I have nine already recorded, um, and they're mixed. Um, and I'd like to record one more, and I do have an opportunity to go back in the studio uh, whenever I uh, can arrange it. And I want to get this group in because I have a sort of relatively new group uh, right now. Uh, my uh, my friend Tim Dernford, the, who was our original keyboard player, has come back in the fold and, and wanted very much to be part of this group. And so we have him recorded on two songs. And... Uh, original bass player Mr. Scott Sherman who sat in on uh, the Garage Baby uh, live right uh, one of the comedy nights uh, he's uh, definitely uh, an integral part of this group and and now we have uh, you know formed that into more of a band sound because as you can appreciate when you know you lose a couple of players from a group it's very hard to replace mm-hmm. them and I replaced the rhythm section and the drummer uh, is still you know, we I use a couple of different guys depending on who's available, and both are really great drummers. Um, but it's hard to cement that marriage if you know they don't play and get the stage time and everything. But in, in any case, I'm digressing a little bit here. But I hope to get this group in to record another track, hopefully in January or February, and then put a new record out. And uh, I know that you know. There are some people that are, are wanting to hear that record. Not so much in Toronto, but in other parts of the world mm-hmm. uh, where our music is, is more has been more embraced. Has it really? Whereabouts? Uh, the UK. Really? <clears throat> specifically in Liverpool and, and surrounding area. Is that right? Uh, in the US. And, Did uh, you ever go over there? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Been t- uh, took the band to uh, Liverpool to play at the Cavern four times. Wow, nice. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, it's amazing, amazing. Because of its tourist attraction, uh, and they've done right. some really smart things in Liverpool to to rejuvenate the city, because that city, like, it's, it's there's a very good reason why the Beatles wanted to get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did see it in the 80s, and, and I know, like, it, it's one of those industrial merchant towns that was sort of ravaged by many different changes and uh so it, it kind of left the the city sort of rusting as you will so how do you, you ha- but how do you get a booking there well through an affiliation that we have through a, a, a marvelous uh proponent of power pop music uh, mr david bash who runs this association called the international pop overthrow and he's based in los angeles but he runs this this organization he's sort of a one-man show him and his girlfriend Irina Barfield and they uh, they know I don't know how he does this This guy's like an encyclopedia of pop music he knows everything and all album credits and like it's just insane what this guy has in his head but he uh, he was uh, made aware to me from a friend of mine Luke Jackson who was also part of this this uh, international pop overthrow and said you should probably contact David because I think he'd really like your music and it was a huge thing for Luke to do and I, I really thank him for that so I contacted David and he heard my music and he said yeah well you know I'll let you know and then when he brought it to Toronto the next year he contacted me and said yeah I want you guys in and from there we just built this relationship and he uh, you know, he's done some amazing things for me. There was, you know, we released our second record and, and somebody said to me, 
hey, did, did you guys know that you, you got a review in Shindig Magazine? And I'm like, holy shit, really? Like, how did that happen? You know, Shindig's a big deal in the UK. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, beautiful, glossy print magazine uh, for, you know, music nerds and geeks who are into like 60s psychedelia and garage rock and, and new pop music and all these things, right? And What was and, the review? The review was of our record, yeah, and it was it, David arranged it, and it's just like amazing, and, mm-hmm. and and you couldn't ask, you couldn't arrange for for press like that, and David did it, and so it was like this guy is, you know, he he likes he likes what we do, and so anyway, you know, we we did this uh, the shows in Toronto International Pop Overthrow, I think it was at the Rivoli for a bunch of years, and and David said, you know, do you want to come to Liverpool and play there? I'm like, are you kidding? Liverpool, really? Like, we'll play at the Cavern where the Beatles played? It's like, yeah, open invitation. So uh, I asked my guys, and, and they were all over it. And uh, so we went over, and we played, and it was just amazing. That's amazing, it was, yeah. It was a, an amazing experience, uh, even though, you know, it, the Cavern has changed a bit. Uh, at one time, somebody bought it and thought it was a good idea to fill it in and just, like, fill it full of, sand or something and and they were going to build on top of it or something and then you know there was this whole renaissance that liverpool went through and and i guess city council got together and said we need to do something about the city we need to rejuvenate we need to rebuild we need to to give the city something that people will come to see and the beatles were certainly you know if they weren't number one on that list they should have been number one on that Mm -hmm. list and somebody said, well, we need to make this part of our rejuvenation. And they re- they rebuilt the waterfront where the merchant docks were, and they did a beautiful job of it, uh, unlike Toronto. Hmm. And uh, and they, they, they created uh, a shopping center mecca area. I think it's called Shop One, or, or I may be getting that wrong. But that's sort of connected to the Cavern Walk and where Matthew Street is, which is still cobblestoned and, and is exactly the way it was, you know, in the Beatles era. Um, when they played there and they they did the same thing to the cavern club but they changed the entrance the the new entrance is now what the exit used to be and the exit is where the entrance used to be or something like that and they rebuilt the stage and but they used the original bricks to do it and they did use the original design and everything so although it's the same it's still it has changed a bit but right. but even still when you play there uh-huh yeah there's, there's there's electricity, you know, uh, and, sure. I mean, and, yeah, and the first imagine. time we did it, we all felt it, and we all just had such an amazing time. Uh, maybe the sound was shite, I don't know, but, I mean, to us, it was glorious. It was the the most glorious time we had spent on stage, and so after having that experience and then playing the back room of the cavern, which is actually the better stage, where it's that, that stage that McCartney plays every year when he comes back. Is that right? When you play that stage, you, you realize that the tech is better on that stage and the lights are better and the, the, the sight lines and, and everything about that space is actually better than the original cabin stage, not to take anything away from that, as, as you know quaint as that is. If you look at it from a technical perspective, the back room is better. And when you have that experience, you put the two of them together, it's like you want to do this all the time. Yeah. So every time we had the invite, we we went back. So is that what you do? You just wait for the next invite, I guess? Well, <clears throat> when you release this album, it happens probably... every May. Mm. And there, because David is such a, a fine gentleman, we have a standing invite. 
so we can go anytime we want to play. We don't get paid to do it. Um, so uh, let's be clear about that. You have to pay your own way. Mm-hmm. But the last time we were there at, with, uh, with Clockwise, with this group, uh, the, our bass player, Jason Egan, who now plays in White Cowbell, Oklahoma, uh, he did a lot of the, the, the groundwork or all of the groundwork to uh, plot out a mini tour. And so we went over and, and not only did we play the cavern, but we played some other rooms in Liverpool as well and went down to um, uh, a little town outside of uh, Manchester and played there and, and a couple of other places outside of London and uh, just had an amazing little tour of it and uh, realized that, you know, there were a lot of people there who who wanted to have the clockwise experience mm. and and you know there were people in in the cavern people coming up to me saying oh you know i saw you guys last year and i i wanted to to make sure that i was here to see you again because you're such a fabulous group and you know all these things and they were wearing our t-shirts and buying our product and and we had sold out all our merchandise wow. the year yeah. before that it was just insane it's like who are these people but they get it there right and th- and this is the difference when you you know, and I said before, timing is part of, can be part of your success and also mm-hmm. who you are exposing your, your art to. Absolutely. Because just because they don't get it in Toronto doesn't mean that they right. won't get it in New Brunswick. Right. Doesn't mean they won't get it in Guatemala or wherever. Mm-hmm. And, and the internet is great for that. There, there are people in, in Germany who have contacted me, South America, Italy, Spain, all over the place that are buying our, our, our music and... I check my my activity uh, through um, you know the host that that I have to um, to your distri- analytics or whatever to, to distribute my music right and there's download activity every day mm-hmm. but most of it is not in this country right yeah and it's wild so, but the internet that's like you said it's it's it's, it's wonderful it's great for that same for if this we show we had that thirty years ago thirty five years ago we we probably would have been able to get signed mm-hmm. and go out and do tours right you know like a lot of young bands do today and they have a lot of success with that and I I look at these people and I go wow are you ever lucky to have to get to do you know what you're doing to have these experiences at a young age because it was so difficult for some of us to to get any recognition whatsoever but the internet is great for that and uh and so there is interest there uh in in some of the music that we're doing and i'm appreciative of that and and i i just want to go where that is Mm -hmm. you know as opposed to trying to get people to come out uh from toronto yeah per se because um there's a weird sort of phenomenon that I think happens everywhere all over the world. And your your own city would be the last to embrace you, I think. It's that it's because you're so new when you start out here and you put yourself. It's, yeah, it's the hometown syndrome. It's like your hometown will never see. It takes them a long time for them to see you as this developed artist because you start out in your hometown, obviously. That's when you put out your most embarrassing stuff and you work through that mediocrity and then. That's why they're like the last, because they're hardest on you. It, for sure, it, but it's weird because <clears throat> you can, as I say, you can go elsewhere, and then you know you are you are accepted and recognized for for what you're doing mm-hmm. with without any sort of you know no one's judging you. There, there's no no critique, um, and and here you know in this city and, and other cities around the world, they'll roll out the red carpet from for somebody from out of town. That's right. 
who have their own baggage of mediocrity that they're pulling around, and right. and, and you go and see it, or you've heard it, or or you, you know you, you get exposed to it, and, and you say, well, it's, it's not that great, mm. you know. But the, it's part of that weird phenomenon, and I'm sure it happens in in your industry as well as it does in mine. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even just like leaving for a little bit and coming back, all of a sudden you're a commodity in Canada. Like I wasn't doing much road work up here before then i moved to new york and instantly the whole country opened up i was touring coast to coast in canada just by leaving it's it's that and it's nice to have that on your resume so that you can say that you have you know been to all of these different cities and performed there and and then you get more recognition that way i think as well right because people always say to me you 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 went where you went you went to the cavern Hmm. what is that where, where, where is that? Like they're testing you or something. Like, no, that's the cavern in, in Liverpool where the Beatles played. Shit, no way. Get out of here. <laughs> it's, it's not that big a deal. I mean, anybody can get on a plane and go to whatever city they want to go to. Right? right. And I think that the beauty of that is is to go and, and have that experience. Just and, go and, and do it. <laughs> why wouldn't you? <laughs> But it shouldn't be daunted by that either. And I think there, there, you know, there are famous comedy clubs uh, all over the United States that people want to play. Absolutely. You know, and and there are, there are famous stages here in Toronto that people want to play. Everybody mm-hmm. wants to play at the Horseshoe, you know, and that's a great great stage to play on. Everybody wants to play at the Phoenix. Um, everybody wants to play at Massey Hall. That's a mm-hmm. whole other rung, you know, to climb. But. Um, those are the experiences that we all want to have. But if some, if one is presented to you, uh, instead of saying it can't be done, I think you need to say to yourself, "We're going to find a way to make this happen." Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for for us, it was just a matter of, of logistics and money, right? Do you want to go and do this, or 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 do you want to do you want to sit home and say, "I could have gone and done it, but I didn't." Is that going to be your legacy, or do you want to say we went and had this fucking amazing experience over Four there times. and met some amazing people and and you know connected with uh, like minded mm-hmm. you know playing in the same venue and 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 perhaps networking some of that right and we did create some relationships over there some people that are still connected to and talk to and who are still you know wanting to know what we're up to and when we're coming back and and. I mean, that's how it starts, that's, and that's what you need to do. I'm the worst networker in the world because I, I, I can't handle, you know, sort of the bullshit and small talk stuff. Right. I, I, can't, I can't be phony. So I painful. Can, excuse me. I can talk to people one-on-one forever and ever and ever, but I can't open up to somebody who I, I think is, is, you know, could be pivotal in helping me, mm-hmm. you know, get exposed to something. It's just not, it's too fake and phony for me. I can't do it. Yeah, I'm the same way. You just feel it doesn't it doesn't feel right. I know other people that, you know, they could sell life insurance to a burning witch, but I'm just not one of those people. Mm-hmm. I'm a bad salesman for my own shit. Uh and and it's unfortunate, but the it's the way the business is now, I think that you have to be all of those things. Whereas yeah. years, years ago you didn't have to. Because because if you don't, someone else will. Yeah, well, there are other people who are wearing five or six That's different right. hats, and they can do all that stuff, and, and those are the people that will succeed in the business. Mm-hmm. And the other people who perhaps should succeed, uh, who don't 
have that same ability or don't want to have that same ability uh, may have a better you know, product but won't get the exposure. All right, Claude Ken, I could talk to you forever, but let's go in for the close here. And by the way, go to clockwisecanada.com to fulfill all of your CK needs. If you could, uh, do you want to play us out? If, grab that axe and uh, play us a song. If you could play Borrowed us guitar. out. Borrowed guitar. Uh, Claude Kent. Here we are. This this one is, uh, <clears throat> is called uh, You Really Got Me Going. Okay. It goes like this. When I woke up, you were still on my mind Now everything's a blur to me And I don't know when it occurred to me, but it did Trying to figure out what to do You're everything in the world to me And everyone in the blind can see it too You really got me going Going inside Nicely done. Wow. Thank nice. 
you really got me going by Claude Kent in Lemon Press Studios live. Hey. Thank you, buddy. Very thanks welcome. for doing Thank the you. podcast. I appreciate Thank you it. you having me on. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening. And there she is, folks. Episode 29 with my guest, Claude Kent. Thanks to Claude. Look at that. It's Pseudo. He's playing the drums in this song. Listen to that. Listen to that kit. Crank it. Crank it. Oh, Claude Kent right there. Thanks to my producer, Adam Fox, also playing lead guitar in this song. Wow, look at that. Garage Baby taking over the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. All right, bring her down. Bring her down. Thanks to Claude Kent, my guest. Thanks to my producer, Adam Fox, and my sound engineer, Miles Lacroix. Thanks to you for listening always, and it's Boxing Day. Merry Christmas. It's that time. This... Ah, I love it. I've got nothing to do for the next little bit. Just chill. It's amazing. Even though today was a travel day, it was a welcome travel day. It's just to, to travel to, to more relaxation. Anyway, go to uh, email the show, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Merry Christmas. Go to facebook.com slash jdcomedyhour. Merry Christmas. Follow on Instagram and Twitter at JD Comedy Hour. Merry Christmas to all and to all. Watch your head. What's on the mannequin? Yeah, you know, especially I now with like a Instagram and stuff it, like that. And, and on the it's internet. a weird phenomenon. I, you know, I don't know how it, other people look at it mm-hmm. or not, but you look at people posing in underwear ads or whatever it is, and everybody's hairless mm-hmm. and everybody's perfect. Yeah, yeah, and really. Fucking not a muscle out of place. Everybody's ripped. They're just oh, you know, and it's it's kind of weird. Really, and mo- and all that is photoshopped at, to begin with, and and fo- photoshopped afterwards. So even right. though they're perfect already, they're now completely infallible. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Uh, well, geez, we're just getting into it. Then uh, I usually go into 
um, uh, an intro or bio for my guest, and but we just sort of got into it, so I'm like, hell, oh, we'll use this. Okay, well, you, Fuck you, it. You use what you like. Uh, <coughs> Claude Kent of Garage Baby and Clockwise and CK Hello. Solo. Drums, guitar, every, everything. This is him right now.